Hi, this is Bill Bryan, the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man, and you're listening to the Canned Air Podcast. tried to think. Look! No! It can't be. What is it? It can't be. What did you do, Ray? Oh, shit. It's the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. everyone and welcome to another episode of Canned Air, your tribute to comics and pop culture. I am Jeremy Colley and boy oh boy do we have an exciting episode for you guys this week. If you've been watching movies then you've definitely seen his work before. His costume designs and visual effects have been seen in so many movies like Men in Black, Child's Play, Jurassic Park 3, Dune, Bicentennial Man, Army of Darkness, Spider-Man 2. One thing he's done that blew my mind while talking to him was he's actually carved the great big yogurt statue in Spaceballs. That blew my freaking mind. But he's best known for being the guy who designed the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man outfit in Ghostbusters 1 and being the guy inside the costume. He is Stay Puffed himself. We welcome costume, special effect artist, and actor Bill Bryan to the show today. And man, what a great conversation we had with him. We talked with Bill all about how he got into the business, which is incredible in itself, and uh, some of the amazing projects he's worked on, as well as all of his experiences uh, having worked with Robin Williams over the years. Uh, it was absolutely incredible to hear. You're, this is one you're not going to want to miss, people. One thing that came up that we didn't even know, we weren't even aware of, is he had his hands in the actual uh, production of the Nicolas Cage Superman outfit. If any of you know what that is, if you don't, get on Google and check it out because it's incredible. But we had an amazing conversation with Bill. He's such a nice person. Uh, it's hard not to like the guy. So we hope you enjoy it. But before we get to that, I just want to remind you guys, don't forget to find us on Twitter at CannedAirPod and on Instagram at Canned underscore Air. And if you like what we're doing, want to show a little bit of support, head over to Patreon.com forward slash CannedAirPod or just head to our website, CannedAirPodcast.com, where for $5 a month, or $10, depending on how much you want to get for your money. You can get uh, shows that the normies aren't getting. The Canned Air Patreon pod. There's Canned Air Radio Theater. Uh, what else? Canned Air Classics. We have the traumatic episode. The interview that went wrong with Lloyd Kaufman. All kinds of things on there to listen to. So check that out again. CannedAirPodcast.com. Hit that Patreon button. Or there's also the merch button you can hit if you want to support us. Get yourself a Canned Air t-shirt, mug, sticker. All kinds of different things on there for you to get. And if you uh, still want to support us but maybe can't do it financially, head over to your podcast player of choice and leave us a review. Let me tell you what, people, I've been harping on it, but I'm not kidding when I say it makes a big difference. So any of those things to support us would be truly and greatly appreciated. And also, don't forget to listen to us 
on the uh, Evergreen Podcast Network, the network we're very proud to be a part of, along with many other great shows. Head to evergreenpodcasts.com to check us and many other fantastic podcasts out. One thing I want to quickly address before the conversation starts is that we were experiencing uh, some kind of a feedback problem that I wasn't able to handle during the recording. I think I was able to take care of most of it in post, but there are going to be times you occasionally hear somewhat of like a, a whoosh sound come over our conversation. I don't think it's too disturbing. If I thought it was too bad, I wouldn't post this. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think it came out pretty good. And so we hope you all really enjoy our conversation with Bill Bryan. Bill, I want to thank you so much for taking time to be on our show today. It's quite an honor to have uh, yourself on here, not only because of, uh, you know, Stave Puff, but my God, all the amazing effects that you've brought to life with your work. So it's a great honor to have you here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, let's uh, jump. I'd, I'd like to start at the beginning. Let's jump right back. Like, how did you get into costume design and, uh, and, and all this amazing stuff? All right. I come from an artistic family. I'm one of seven kids. I was watching TV. It was uh, in high school, and Jim Henson put on a show called Muppets on Puppets, and they showed how to make different kinds of puppets, and uh, among them, there was a, a Muppet. And when I learned the basic move of uh, you know cutting a wedge out, gluing it together, and it starts to create a curve, and after that, the rest is uh, art history. That's incredible. So jumping right back, how, so how did that uh, then lead into such an amazing career? What, what, okay. What? Well, it's funny. I, I started making puppets uh, and costumes. I, I went to Syracuse University. I was a metalsmithing major. In the, the metal course, they taught a whole lot of different materials. And I was still making Halloween costumes out of foam to make extra money, you know, go to the win prizes at the bar that kind of thing. And then uh, while I was there at Syracuse, um, a friend asked me if I would make a plant costume for a plant food commercial that they were, they were shooting for a class. And the guy that was doing the announcing for the commercial was named Bruce Tufeld. And his father, Dick Tufeld, ring a bell? Lost his face. Here you go. Danger Will Robinson. Yeah. And uh, so Dick was in the control booth while they were shooting the commercial. And the director went in and said, so what do you think, Mr. Tufeld? Is there a place for me in Hollywood? He said, no, but there's a place for the guy that made that costume. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Rory. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, I heard about it and uh, I, I sent him a letter and he returned with a phone call. And he said, yeah, I can't give you a job, but uh, I think that you'd probably do pretty well out there, which adjusted my view of the of the future. I thought maybe I was going to be a, an impoverished silversmith on uh, on Cape Cod. But instead, uh, there was a whole you know, glistening future in Hollywood. So I, so I got aboard my my bicentennial rocket thumb. And I crossed the country <laughs> and uh, in 1976. And uh, when I ran out of rides at the desert, I hopped a freight in uh, Grand Junction, Colorado, took that to Salt Lake City. And then uh, then another one into, uh, well, let's see. I got out in, in about Sacramento because I was told by one of the bohos aboard the boxcar that uh, if we got to, to Stockton, I would get beat up and kicked out. Well, anyway, so uh, I ended up uh, heading on down, back on the thumb and down down to L.A. And when I got here, I called Dick Tufeld and he said, hey, come on over for dinner. So I did. Uh, and we talked a bit. And then he he helped me out by sticking his head into the CBS wardrobe department one day while he was doing some announcing. And uh, he dropped my name and got a number and they uh, said, send him in. So I did that, went to CBS and then uh, they gave me a number for NBC and they told me about another place called Fantasy Fair. and But they didn't have a number for, for the guy that ran that, Tommy O'Neill. But I went out and I stuck out my thumb again to go home and a little red sunbeam like Maxwell Smart Drives uh, pulled up and it was a piano tuner who uh, 
did have Tommy O'Neill's number. And so <laughs> my first job was actually at Fantasy Fair. And then after uh, I've been there for about a month, they let me go and uh, they called NBC. And uh, I worked there for about five years doing stuff for Johnny Carson and various things like that. Uh, all the uh, variety shows with an and in the middle. There was Captain Ann to Neil, Donnie Ann Marie, Sonny Ann. <laughs> Actually, I didn't do any more Dan Bindi. <laughs> although, uh, although I did meet Robin Williams there at NBC because they were getting ready to do a uh, Laugh-In, uh, another right. go at Laugh-Inch. And so he was, I happened to sit in on a, on a shoot of a little a commercial for spray socks that he did. And it was so impressive because uh, when, when he hadn't shaken the can. And so when he went to spray his foot uh, with the spray paint, um, it didn't come out. So he did it again and he did it all entirely differently. It was so brilliant anyway. But um, then once they kind of ran out of things for me to do there at NBC, uh, I, Went out uh, looking around. I, I worked at Sid and Marty Crofts for a little while. I remember them? You're doing, uh, it doesn't matter what it was, uh, Erlene Mandrell. Uh, remember the Mandrell sisters? Oh, yeah. Barbara? Mm -hmm. Well, Erlene was the drummer, and, and I think Marty said, hey, I can make you a star. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, they we put together a show with the same puppets repeated as had been in the Barbara show, the Texas critters, I think they call them. And while working there, I met Mark Siegel. There was another show that was about to get started. It was called Broadway babies, I think. And uh, he was clay sculpting these heads for these puppets. And I was foam fabricating things and we got to talk and we got to be buddies. And then uh, when he left there and went over to Don Post studio, Remember Don Post doing the, the rubber masks uh, on the back of Famous Monsters magazine? You know, those uh, those great, uh, all the Aurora, I mean, not Aurora, but the, uh, you know, Universal Monsters. Uh, yeah. Those mm -hmm. classic masks were done out of Don Post Studios. And before they got so much into the masks, they had been doing some movie stuff way back when. Then they got into the mass and out of doing the movies. And so Don thought, hey, maybe we can do some movies. So he asked Mark Siegel to sculpt the still suits for Dune, David Lynch's Dune. And so um, Mark said, uh, actually, these should be fabricated just because that way they'll look realer and, and cooler and all that. Right. Anyway, so uh, and I know just the guy and he uh, got me an interview. I went over and we uh, we made 300 still suits for for dune a lot of uh, very specific ones for specific people and then a whole bunch of extras for for extras and then when that was done one of the ladies that uh helped work on it her name's uh, linda frobos and she's a sculptor and when she she went to the next job over at boss films to sculpt on ghostbusters and so when she called and asked uh, asked me, uh, how would you build a marshmallow man if you had to? And so I started telling her. And then she said, well, why don't you just come in and talk to these guys? And so that's what I did. And they they gave me the job. Uh, let me uh, wear it and and uh, build it. Build it and wear it, I guess, in that order. That worked out nicely. Uh, it really started out the rest of my career. Did you happen to look at my uh, my resume wrap? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that was very cool. So there, there have been a bunch of little pieces along the way since then. I got in two unions because of Ghostbusters, the Sculptors and the Screen Actors Guild, and uh, so I got a bunch of work through the Sculptors Union at first, and that helped me get into other things. I wasn't really fond of carving green death; they called it, you know, the floral foam. Yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. You get enough of that in the air and, and inside of you. It gets gritty anyway. So, uh, but along the way, uh, sculpt, helped sculpt. There was a, you know, the, the terracotta soldiers in China? I think so, uh, yes. Okay, well, um, in Die Hard, the first guy that gets shot has one in his office. And we carved that. Uh, awesome. 
just watched uh, that was, the other night. <laughs> <laughs> there was also a, uh, a this beautiful dancing girl, uh, you know, delicate, uh, but she was crushed to powder before she made it to set by a grip. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and he was never heard from again. <laughs> Um, so let's see. Oh, oh, yogurt. Remember uh, the big statue of yogurt? Yes. Yes. Baseballs. Yeah. Carved on that one. That was all foam too? Yeah, yeah. Big uh, big blocks of, of uh, green green foam. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Wow. The whole namesake of our show is a tribute to Spaceballs. Yeah. So that's that's <laughs> oh, awesome really? to find. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> all right then. Very cool. Oh, it, it, it's, I would love uh, to read your book if you uh, have one or ever <laughs> get one together because... I guess I do need to do that, don't I? Well, especially, I keep promising. Especially with the whole uh, hitchhiking thing. That's You could not do that these days. Like That's incredible, you know? Yeah, there was the a perfect moment. open window to fall into everything right, just like yeah. that. Well, there was a moment. There's a thing called a flat wheeler, which... If you get started across the desert and you realize you've gotten into a flat wheeler, your you know your bones are going to get crushed. So the train stopped at a certain point in the middle of the desert on a curve, and so some of the guys signaled to some of the other guys in another car, and they said, "No, ours is good. So come on over." So we went running across the curve and climbed into this other box car, and when I was in the boxcar, old Willie, bearded old white guy, comes up to me and he hands me my wallet and my traveler's checks that had fallen out of my pocket. Oh, my <laughs> they were lying there on the desert floor and old Willie saw it happen and brought it to me. Now, I have this theory that old Willie is actually me. Ooh. Wow. <laughs> my brain is about to melt out of my nose. Wow. You really got to write a book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're just sitting there watching for yourself to drop your wallet, to hand it back, to keep everything yeah. going. Yeah, exactly. Because of, of anybody who would do that, you certainly wouldn't expect a, a hobo riding the rails to do it. You would yeah. it be like yeah. the lottery, you know? Well, old Roger came up to me. He said, "Hey, you know what old Willie done for you? I, I don't know that I would have done that. And uh, you know, it might be nice if he was to receive a little, you know, reward of some sort. <laughs> 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 oh, can I buy you some beer? That <laughs> do, that do. <laughs> wow! Incredible! Incredible!" <laughs> Well, of course, we're going to uh, ask you about Stay Puffed and uh, your experiences there. But uh, before we do, there's a few other things I'd like to touch on. I mean, your IMDb is very, very long. So, of course, we don't it's have weird, time to isn't it? touch it's on everything. Scattered. It's incredible. Some, some of it's there. Some of it's not. That's what was so awesome about the resume wrap is watching that. Uh, I was seeing a lot of things that I wasn't seeing on IMDb. And I was like, wait, what? Wait, hold on. I had to rewind it and watch it a few times to take everything in. It was pretty incredible. And they're all sort of uh, coded, you know, schmello, schweezel. I mean, I don't want to say shit weasel, right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. That's funny. Uh, well, um, the first one I would like to touch on, being a huge Chucky uh, fan, is Child's Play. I just wonder if you could uh, tell us a little bit about your involvement there okay. and uh, what it was like to operate that puppet. Well, you notice in the rap, technically it says, Chucky wasn't done <clears throat> until i done my bit. Because yeah. I wasn't one of the original eight puppeteers, but uh, when one of the guys went away, they asked me to fill in. Uh, Mark Tyler, who helped build Still Suits and Stay Puff, was one of the puppeteers, and he suggested my name. And so I I uh, was able to join them for a while. And I got to do a few fun little bits and pieces. Uh, uh, <clears throat> a specific moment uh, when he shoves the key into the door and turns it. You know, that was yeah. me. Got it on the first shot. That, that was <laughs> wow. a Wow, pro. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, it was cheeks and eyebrows mostly, that kind of thing. And uh, so, when he mostly they say, leave it alone, you know, (laughs) and so that's a skill. (laughs) 
there I do remember a specific moment when uh, when <laughs> Chucky's in the fireplace and uh, and Alec Vincent is, is about to drop in the match. You remember right. the, the line is uh, it, uh, hey, I thought we were gonna be friends to the end and Alex supposed to say this is the end. Brent, right. right? Well, when his moment came, he said, the fifth end, friend. <laughs> <laughs> and so Tom Holland had to talk him up a little bit, and it took a few tries before he got past the identical thing that he had practiced already. <laughs> yeah, he was very young, very young. Good guy. I'm, Absolutely, and he's st- still playing that character to this day on the uh, sci-fi on the series. series right? yeah. yeah, 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 incredible. Gotcha. Randy, I know you had a couple uh, things you wanted to touch on. Yeah, and it's a little bit uh, closer to, to now. Um, I, I did happen to catch your uh, Kaiju Fury uh, VR oh. <laughs> movie that you were a creative supervisor on. Oh right. And, um, I, I just saw it on my. Like, what was that? Bill and Ted's Kaiju Adventure, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I gotta say, it it very much reminded me of the old Kong Universal ride. Like it just had that kind of feeling of you know being in the middle of it. Oh right. Um, but no, it was it was great. What's uh, I know you were creative supervisor on that. How much did you do the the creature animation? Oh or? okay okay. Um, here's what we did. That was actually it's with the the Stan Winston School of character arts, right? Yeah, I think character. Um, and you can find that swca.com, I think. And uh, they had us, over the course of two weeks, Ted Haynes and I were teaching how to build two kaijus. Uh, they, they came up with the designs and then we figured out in a big hurry how to do them. And I you know, got as much inspiration out of out of my uh, my team as i could and then they would run over and help build buildings we thought that we were going to keep them and keep constructing the uh, the creature uh, over the course of the day that didn't happen so much we did for the hour or two that were in the class and then off they'd run to to make the uh, the miniature town um, and then when that was all done we uh, set it up and knocked it down it, it is a lot of fun. They, I mean, it's only like about three minutes, but it's yeah, yeah. it's a fun three minutes. <laughs> oh, and there was a they were using a, a system, the Oculus system, I think, or mm-hmm. something. And so, you know, they got. I think they were sort of beta testing it a little bit or mm-hmm. something like that. So we managed to make something exciting. Now those the classes are also available on on DVD by the way. Okay. If you want to learn how to build those things, you know, or any other uh, aspect of, of uh, character arts. I don't know if you've seen any of the uh, the classes that they okay. teach at the Stan Winston School. They All the best, uh, you know, the top of the line, uh, sculptors, mold makers, uh, just all kinds of great effects, folks. It's worth looking at. Painting. I will definitely check that out. Yeah, what else? Ask me another question. <laughs> <laughs> so my other question is, uh, you are on the, uh, um, excuse me, the special effects crew for the new Jackass movie coming out. Oh. And <laughs> being a fan of the franchise for so long, I was just curious if you got roped into any pranks. When does, when does this come out? This Your uh, podcast? The podcast? Podcast. Uh, probably within the next week. I imagine uh, NDAs uh, are probably in effect. Exactly. That's, <laughs> that's the point I'm going to have to stress. I um, I did some puppeteering. Okay. Ooh. Okay. That's intriguing as all hell, isn't it? And, and the, you know, the, the last thing we were talking about was kind of interestingly uh, linked into this. But mm. you'll have to you'll have to take a look at it. Okay. All right. I will be watching out for it. Remember the meaning of life, uh, yes. Monty Python. Yes. Remember how it started with the chartered accountant movie that Terry Gilliam threw together. Uh, threw together. He used up their entire budget on this little short that opened the movie. Well, it's. I think it's a. It's kind of like that in the a, a short film opening the film. It should be. Oh, I cannot. I cannot wait to see this. <laughs> 
it's appropriate for them. <laughs> it can be so many things. <laughs> yeah, man, that's a great endorsement in mm-hmm. itself. If you didn't want to see it before, you do now, right? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, one more uh, I want to touch on before we get to Stay Puffed. Uh, Doc Ock's tentacles from Spider-Man Two. Oh, that looked yeah. like that was some kind of undertaking. I mean, in the past, when I've watched the documentary, I had seen you know four different people having each of those tentacles on like long sticks. But then I can't remember what video of yours I saw on YouTube, but it showed yourself like in almost like this uh, kind of like a rowing, like or a boat or a bike right. apparatus we, thing. We call that the Octo Lounger. It was, <laughs> it was set up so that you could uh, run some of the controls with your feet and some with each hand. You know, it's a, an elaborate uh, multi-axis uh, controller on on either side, turning and twisting and side to side. Anyway, and that was to control the the hands, the, uh, you know, the, the like mouth the claws opening and closing yeah. yeah and they were amazing the number of different shapes that they could achieve by using those um each i mean there was an octal lounger for each head oh my god are you serious yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> there was a lot going on in there because it was so many uh links uh you know Anyway, the, right, the guys, right. these, uh, the mechanics over at, uh, at Edge Effects, uh, Steve Johnson's shop, were uh, pretty amazing. Uh, Mark, uh, Mike Elizaldi, I believe, was involved, but we had O'Con and, uh, oh, just a whole bunch of the guys. Uh, uh, Rick Gallinson, I think, was in there, and oh, oh uh, Bob Mono. A lot of great guys uh, and wow. uh, specialists in their field. So... That was for the heads. Then the rest, the tentacles themselves, were made of lots of skinny little wafers of foam that had been uh, uh, plated, brass plated. And so they they got a lot heavier as they, you know, got sure. prettier. Um, and there was a moment, uh, Lyle Conway was in, in, he was the head of the puppeteers at the time. And his answer, no, we can't use these, wasn't going to work. And so uh, they let him go, and they asked me to take over at the at the the helm uh, for a while there, because uh, he knew that I'd say, yeah, okay, whatever, we'll do it. <laughs> so we uh, figured out how how to work those things. Um, we had some things, DLs was one of them. There was DL fourteens and DL twenty sixes. DL stands for dog leash. Uh, when you push the button, the the extendable uh, cord mm-hmm. uh, goes through through a uh, pulley, and then it grabs the arm at a spot, and you know you lift that up and down, and you get enough of them going, and you you manage to uh, give it a fluidity between them. And so we could, you know, depending on where what the move was, you extend, then you you know collect you know let it retract and until you're in the perfect puppeteer spot so that was at in the middle um of course at at the body they had they just connected to his body and then um the heads were on rolling teeter-totters but these teeter they were steel um it was it looked a lot like um you know the uh hand car for railroad, you know that. Uh, yeah, like yeah. Yeah. action. Yes, <laughs> picture uh, uh, the general or something like that. You <laughs> <Yeah. know? laughs> so it looked a lot like that. A big. Uh, it was on on a rolling platform with a, a rotation plus the up and down. And uh, it wasn't until after we were done that Brad Abrell, who was on one of those and doing a lot with it that he admitted that he had a bad back. And the only reason he'd done it was because he knew he'd probably lose the job if he mentioned it. <laughs> so, so, wow. How effective. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, it worked out well. Now, we were responsible for inside of four feet. Outside of that, it was uh, digital. And uh, what's his name? Apogee. Uh, 
Uh, come on. It went away. Oh, well. That's okay. Uh, that happened all the time. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Uh, so we worked it out between us that uh, he'd take it beyond the four feet. And so they did a lot of that, picking up cars and throwing them. Fortunately, we didn't have to do that. <laughs> Pull harder. <laughs> We're going to have to get the heavy-duty dog leash. <laughs> so are you um, then, you know, we're less than two weeks away from seeing this character return to the big screen in the new Spider-Man film. Are you going to be uh, returning and doing this work again? Uh, I wish. Nah, they, they did it all digital this time. Uh, ah. <laughs> it's crazy how much you know you you, you talk about all the little uh, moving uh, everywhere it could move and bend and the way it was moving those tentacles had their own personality I mean I know mm -hmm. they were supposed to within the context yeah. of the story but it was conveyed so well glad to hear you say that <laughs> a lot of a lot of energy went into that Mm, that's so amazing. All right, everyone, we're going to jump to a quick commercial break really quick. And when we return, we're going to be hearing Bill talk about designing the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man outfit and being inside the thing. So stick around. Science, science, science. Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes. Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes. Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes, yes! Woo! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast. All right, here we are. Stay puffed, the marshmallow man. Uh, tell us huh? about this suit. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> this suit is um, incredible, and it looks like it had to have been, um, and I'm just saying difficult because I don't know shit about designing a costume. It might have been child's play, no pun intended for you. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about uh, the build of this suit? Uh, let's see. First, I tried carving the foam, uh, did some arm parts carved them it takes a lot of smoothing to get foam back to smooth if you can work with the fresh cut surface as the outer surface then you're miles ahead so what we ended up doing was fabricating it um, we uh, i carved a uh, a body shape out of green foam um then uh let's see it was fiberglass clad, and that was removed and put back together again, hollow. John Berg thought that, see, the first suit that we built, uh, it was all out of, out of soft foam. And uh, when it walked over the camera, the crotch mm -hmm. looked like a baby girl. <laughs> <laughs> And that wasn't what they were looking no, for. No, I would say not. I would say not. So uh, there was a lot of panic about that. We've got to stiffen up the crotch. And We've so all been that's, that, that, that's why that fiberglass core was made. And I didn't want to wear a fiberglass costume. Sure. Yeah. The first job I did at NBC was a disco duck. Do you remember Rick Dees? Yes. Okay. Yep. Rick D's radio, uh, AM radio guy, he uh, found some fame in the 70s uh, with a, a thing he called Disco Duck. And uh, you can probably find it online. Uh, disco, Disco Duck. Something like that. Uh, I always thought it was Donald Duck because I, I, I vaguely remember the song, but I was real little back then too. So right. yeah. it was always going to well, be Donald Right, of course, that makes sense. <laughs> but um, so he had a fiberglass one, and it was cutting him up. And so the first job I did at NBC was to make a soft duck body for, for Disco Duck. And so I knew that the fiberglass was something I did not want to perform in. 
And so I, uh, I cut it in half, saying, uh, maybe we'll just use the bottom. Well, of course, then we've got this line. But it gave me enough time to get some uh, of another type of foam, L200, which uh, it's, a, it's stiffer. It's still flexible, but uh, boogie board foam is, you know, ethafoam is about the same consistency, but it's done with more with heat. This is done more with chemical. Uh, mm. Very, very fine pour. You see, actually, um, <clears throat> shoes inside sometimes some of the uh, the soft parts of sneakers or you know right right i know they use it a lot on face off that show because i know oh, they'd always right, talk right. about l200 foam yeah 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 uh eva is another name for it but that's not the environment <laughs> anyway <I forgot. laughs> so uh we did end up making a layer first an egg shape actually i have on my phone i have a an album of stuff so let me flip across to find it there'll be a few things i can show you steve johnson was on the on ghostbusters before i was and he comes from sculpt it cast it sculpt it mold it cast it so um you can get repeats but you always have a seam wherever you have a seam we wanted to be able to cover this thing and hide the seams off camera. So it, it, you could stretch one piece of foam just past the horizon on either side. And then you'd have to add another piece. Or, and there were, there were you know, wrinkles and seams, but they went underneath the bib, underneath the arms and legs. And so we were able to just barely get that covered and just past the horizon we made front view suit, side view suits, back view suits. So we made uh, around 10, I think, suits and burnt. Wow, yeah, that's a lot, isn't it? Burnt most of them. Didn't burn the... Now, I didn't do the burns. Tony Cesar did the burns. There was, there was some kerfuffle about the son of the, the uh, stunt coordinator. He was, I think he was afraid of it. Afraid of the fire or something. Uh, didn't know it until it happened, and so he kept dropping to his knees before they got anything. Uh, oh. That being the indication of put me out. And so then finally they got Tony, who has done so many the thing, and any time you see a really good burn, it's probably Tony Cesar. Uh, and so they brought him in and in a big hurry, in his own, in his own uh, Nomex suit, in his own gel, he'd dip it and squeeze it out and put it on, put in the suit, put on his supplied air. Um, and then uh, the head goes on and uh, light him up. Joe Viscoso was the uh, head pyro guy. Well, he was the, the pyro guy for Stay Puffed. Thane Morris was the head pyro guy who hired Joe. May he rest in peace. Um, but I did just, actually, uh, Thane was doing some pyro on jackass <laughs> and <he> more insight <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh, okay so the, one of the pictures here is of the eggshell layer or we call them eggs now do you know about the t-shirt tell them about the t-shirt <laughs> i don't know about the t-shirt no well i'll start start by showing you that here we are, several of us are going to be able to. Come on, camera. Oh, it's seeing me. Okay. Funny how it's picking it out. That's yeah, weird. Yeah, it's, it's that there background effect or whatever. It is strange. But you see the T-shirt I'm wearing there? Yeah. yeah. It's a Michelin T-shirt. And when we first see Stay Puffed, it's just his head bobbing behind the building, right? Sure. Right. And so they wanted the head and the buildings in focus. I couldn't wear the suit because it would push me too far away from the building. So I just wore the T-shirt thinking, you'll never see it. It's a fun piece of shtick, you know, Michelin. All right, uh, sure. And then it showed, now I don't know if this will show at all. Um, somebody pieced together the four frames as the T-shirt went behind. And alleyway. Oh my! 
just make out what it is, but it's you can see it. Wow. So can you see that in the film at all? Yeah. Yeah. You Blu-ray that and you click through and you will be able to see the Michelin t-shirt. It's very subtle. But uh, I first started noticing that I could see just a, a, a flash of yellow. I thought, oh, there it is. And then when, as, as the media get, got better, the image was easier to see. And then some, somebody that uh, online, you know, a Facebook friend pieced it together for me. So wow, <laughs> could, I'm going to have to dig that up. I'm seriously, yeah. for that. I could show my Easter egg. Now, do you know about the tie? What about the tie, Egon? One day, one night, while Joe Viscosal was preparing the suit for, uh, for Tony Cesar to wear, he was putting flash bulbs in the bib so that it would flash and flash and, you know, look cool as the proton wand is, you know, it's, it's hitting. I and uh, I said, I've got to put this, this tie, I've got to connect this to the bib. And he said, don't, don't do it yet. I'll, I'm afraid I'll lean up, you know, mess it up. So, well, it didn't make it on. And so. <laughs> oh, no. Shit. So there's a scene where he's missing the tie. And it is the moment when the guys first blast Stay Puffed. They're up on the parapet, the four are lined up, and and they're, I went to Michael Gross, very embarrassed and frightened, and he said, just after great applause for having got the shot. So everybody sat there and saw it all by itself on the screen and didn't notice. But I went to Michael and said, I don't want to have to tell you this, but he wasn't wearing his tie. Ooh, uh, well, he said, it's such a complicated shot that probably no one will notice. If they do, who should we charge for the $30,000 reshoot? <laughs> that guy. <laughs> the answer is not me. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, That's so incredible, though. Yeah, I never noticed it's, that it's either. It's in the movie. Um, it is that first moment, and... Uh, now, the one reason you don't notice it is because the parapet is here at first, and it isn't until he leans back far enough that that about there, you know, it just reveals across the bottom. Uh, and then, you know, it's pretty obvious if you know if you're looking for it. I was in a bar once and mentioned it, and somebody said, "You're in my book." What? Come back next Thursday. I'll bring it. And so I have a copy of a book with the, you know, the little sign here tab. It's pointing to his ties missing. <laughs> <laughs> a wow. blooper because it's just a one-liner. But hey, I'm in it. <laughs> that's incredible, though. I would have never noticed that. I mean, when he's when he's, I think that's the first time you really see his face like in anguish, like really looking disturbed, and that's yeah. really the focal point. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. I would have yeah. never noticed that. And. You know, there's there is a lot going on. The the guys, the ones, the mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot of they could have wiped it out with their with their wines if they noticed, but no. <laughs> right, that's yeah. incredible because that's such a hard hitting scene, and especially you know you already touched on the fire and you addressed that, but I was always very curious because you know after doing this research, I was thinking damn, it, they actually did set it on fire. You would expect a suit made of foam and stuff just to whoosh like straight up. Well, actually, we built a lot of the fire suits with the final layer was a half inch thick of, of 100 pour per inch white Scott foam, unpainted. Because if you paint it, you get a wrinkly surface. But if you leave it un, unpainted and just keep it out of the light, until you get it in front of the camera and, you know, take off the black plastic bag and go. Uh, and uh, it moves so much better. So um, let's see, what was I saying? <laughs> My mind's wandered. Um, uh, uh, talking about the, uh, just the suit catching fire burns, and going yeah. up so far. Oh, okay. okay, so there's a half inch layer of that foam on the outside. Underneath that, well, first there's the uh, L200 layer which I didn't find. But um, then is a another, I think it was a three-quarter inch layer of pyrocell, I think they called it something, or it was a flame-proof foam. It was some ridiculous percentage of 
flame-proof additives in a little bit of foam. And so it was gray and bubbly looking, but uh, it it would stop the flame there from getting any deeper. Plus, we were sticking it together with a layer of urethane. I mean, the urethane foam, you know, you mix it up and you smear it and use that as the glue for the for those fireproof ones, if I remember correctly, because we were using spray spray glue to put together the at least the one that didn't have to burn. <laughs> It has been 37 years, though, so I could be forgetting. <laughs> now, the suit itself, I imagine it had to be very uh, laborious to wear, very hot, heavy. Oh, was it? Well, what was the, what were the made, biggest challenge? Actually, you know, I made it. So I made it comfortable. The biggest challenge is it's hot. Um, sure. You know, sure. it's, it's all insulation material all around your body and a lot of air. But... I, because it was flexible, if I waved my arms, then the whole body acted like a bellows, and I got oh, nice. fresh, I got fresh air in and out. But I couldn't overdo it, or I would start sweating. You know, you, you balance. You know what you're sure. getting out of it. I had heard uh, somebody say that the suit Robin Williams wore on Mrs. Doubtfire. You know how they archived that stuff. Is yes. it is zipped up in a bag with a sign on it that says. Dear God, do not open open. because he had sweat so much into it that it just has a putrid smell to it. I just just wondered if anything like that was happening. Well, um, there are pictures. Actually, I might be able to find that one. It's bound to be here. Holding her nose. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that's me, the blurry one behind. It is funny how it's not allowing... It to focus anyway. it's a very good yeah. filter it? <laughs> it, it really is i don't know how to how to adjust that though oh no so, worries you're fine <laughs> anyway so it's a good shot but yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> now uh speaking of robin williams um i met him first at nbc when he was doing that what i told you right just after seeing him do that I went to breakfast the next day and he was standing in the line, you know, the cafeteria. And uh, so we sat down and had a meal together. I told him how brilliant, how much I had enjoyed seeing uh, what he'd done the day before. And uh, uh, that's a good way to make friends with anybody. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then we got to talking. I was doing some Shakespeare out in uh, Will Gears theater in Topanga. And I knew that he'd gone to, Julia, I think he told me then that he'd gone to Juilliard and had done a bunch of Shakespeare. And so he, shortly after that, I guess maybe a year later, he is Mork. He is living in Topanga and he is the Grand Marshal of the of the Topanga Days Parade. So I have another picture somewhere of that. But um, I had made some some weird uh, vegetable like uh, costume alien thingies and so I got a picture of him with that on and then years later uh, we're doing Bicentennial Man and I brought yes. him I brought him a print of that picture I said in case you're wondering what you were doing in, <laughs> in 1979 <laughs> I definitely don't remember <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I helped uh, design, build the robot suit for Bicentennial Man. I helped dress Robin in it, and I doubled him in it because we were the same size. And they actually made the suits to fit me with a little bit of extra room in the legs for his uh, his mountain biking legs and maybe a little bit of gut. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That is yeah. one of my all-time favorite films. So bravo! Really? That was what a great job. Absolutely, I love his wow. whole journey to wanting to, uh, you know, be considered uh, a living person. Mm-hmm. It was so yeah. good. so good. Well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> yes, I was very much involved. In fact, we got the job because remember Nicholas Cage's Superman. Yes. <laughs> yes. We get reminded okay. often, I think. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, we made a suit. It was a regeneration suit. And uh, uh, Colleen Atwood 
You familiar with Colleen's um, costume or for uh, um, the name's familiar, but I, I wouldn't know her if I saw her, to be honest. It did a lot of Johnny Depp suits for uh, Tim Burton shows. Okay. Um, a lot of really elaborate stuff. But she also did uh, costumes for Batman and then, or I guess it may be the first one. I mean, you know, the Nicholson. Uh, uh, right. But then this, this uh, Tim Burton was going to direct Nick Cage as Superman. And so we we were it was across Christmas, didn't have any work for me to do at the time. And so I said, hey, can I help them sculpt on that that body over there in the secret room over there? And I went over and I started. They had these, it was like vacuform bulge muscles surrounded by soft uh, earth, or, well, silicone, I guess. And I, I didn't think it was going to work. You know, you, you're putting hard where you need it to move. Right. Yeah. And and I don't think there's enough soft around it to make it really work. So I said, do you have any of those extra vacuform shapes? And I just disappeared and went up to my loft and started creating armor, clear armor that overlapped, invisible overlaps uh, to create this whole bubble suit without any of that extra stuff around there's a it. picture of that in your uh, resume wrap right uh yes yes yeah uh, and it's got lasers and it's got uh you know fiber optics underneath it shooting lasers and <laughs> freaking lasers man <laughs> <laughs> superman with freaking lasers cool. and so um so actually it helped to satisfy the contractual obligation of a suit that would work and so Colleen started chasing it that way as well in her shop, you know, having been inspired in that direction. So I, anyway, we ended up with some good footage of that suit. And then when uh, Chris Columbus was looking for a, a solid robot, you know, that was hard all over, we showed him footage of that and they said, oh, good, you can. So let's. And so we got it. And then I got asked to do an arm. I came up with this, you know, the ball in the inside of a action figure. Oh, yeah. You know, I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could simulate that, you know, that passing through itself? Did it with leaves so that, you know, uh, you know, it collapsed on itself. Little thin, uh, you know, eye-shaped leaves, like an orange sort of uh, overlap. Mm -hmm. And uh, so... That became a standard item element of the design. When uh, Galatea, remember uh, uh, the the girl robot? I do. Uh, yes, she's so beautiful. The guys, we were already up on set shooting, and and uh, they came up with those shoulders. I was so impressed. I was jealous. It was such a brilliant design piece. And Robins were big round balls. If you remember, yeah, <laughs> right. he was supposed know. to be somewhat of an older model compared to her exactly. in the film, correct? Right, I think so. I yeah. hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. The whole work. story was about upgrading, anyway. So it was good to have some, you know, difference. So uh, during one of the upgrades, they gave Robin some Italian sh uh, boots, actually, uh, instead of the clunky robot boots that we'd made. Um, and so you know, he's upgrading. He's getting more svelte and stylish. Well, these the tongue of this boot kept slipping out of the leg of the pant of the you know of the suit. Sure. And he couldn't, you know, you can't shoot that. It's not supposed to be out like that. So we thought I thought I had it fixed and it happened again. And the robot turned to me with this fix the shoes. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't want to mess with the robot. I know I know that. You don't. So uh, we had finished shooting and, and I was doubling Robin in the suit, you know, but not a lot. He was mostly doing, there was one shot where uh, there was a scene where little miss is, well, Andrew Martin is, is carving, you know, actually carving some uh, with a, a mallet and chisel. And I've been sitting talking to Robin's assistant and mentioned that I'd done some carving with the union on toys and on, on hook 
And he said, oh, wow. He comes running back, says, Billy, you carve? Can you do the carving scene for me tomorrow? I'm afraid I'm going to cut my thumb off. So I said, sure, sure. So I got my own my own moment in the movie. <laughs> you know? How freaking awesome. I even got a line in the movie. It was pretty exciting. You know, remember Stephen Root? You know Stephen Root, right? Stapler, my stapler. You know that guy? Yes, From yes. Space. Well, he's, he's always invisible in whatever role he plays. He's just... Anyway, he, he's the head of Northam Robotics, businessman. And uh, Sir go, takes Andrew Martin to meet this guy and mention that the, the robot is, is acting differently. He's being artistic. He's coming up with, oh, well, bring him. We'll destroy it. And we'll give you another. He said, no, 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 I, I like it. He says, but what if he runs amok? And Robin was trying to come up with a line to respond to that, but it wasn't working. He was he was going with running, something about running. And and so I'm screwing on his jaw and I say, one is not trained to run mucks, sir. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So That's he went very good. And changed, changed it to program, of course, you know, one is not programmed to run mucks, sir. And it got in the movie. I thought, yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. You yeah, really yeah. need to write a book, man. You really yes, do. Yes, you do. <laughs> Did you just write all this shit down? <laughs> <laughs> we'll just make a transcription of this podcast and we'll exactly. publish it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there was one other thing about Stay Puffed I was curious about. Uh, looking online, uh, it said that, you know, original concepts of the Stay Puff scene have him, uh, when he first appears, actually coming up out of the Hudson River next to the Statue of Liberty. And I just wonder if that was ever presented to you. And if it was, how would have you ever tackled such a, such a task? No, no, that would have been very difficult. Yeah. And and I'm glad they they abandoned that. And actually, they needed it for uh, for the Statue of Liberty. You know, sure. in the next sure. one. Yeah. Because <laughs> actually, in the very first script, there was a whole lot more. And it was in space, too. Did you know that? I mean. Yes. It was supposed to be in like another dimension or something like that. There originally. was a lot going on there. And so they, they brought it into filmable budget by bringing it down to Earth, literally. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense. Yeah. yeah, I think that was, uh, what was that, Harold Ramis's idea. Uh, he's like, well, maybe we should bring this down to earth, make it a little more uh, uh, Yeah, relatable. well, sure. Dan Aykroyd wrote the original script. Right. And and it was very exciting, a lot to deal with, and, you know, no filters. And Harold Ramis's, his script writing, he really was the brains of that show. I mean, sure. Actually, here, I want to sing you a song. Ready? Here we go. Actually, did you ever hear the uh, Three Dog Night song? I've never been to Spain. Well, I never been to you know, anyway. I probably uh, have. Okay. So I was in a bar. Somebody asked, "Did you ever meet Sigourney?" I said, "Well, I never met Sigourney, but I did meet Ernie Hudson." Now wait a second. Well, and so <laughs> I'll just rip through it quick for you. I won't throw all the the uh, the beats, but. Uh, I never met Sigourney, but I did meet Ernie Hudson. I told Ivan I was stay puffed. In effect, he said, so what, son? Between so what, son, and Ernie Hudson, I'll take Hudson. I met Murray doing Kimmel. Didn't turn out like I hoped for. We were supposed to be best friends now, but he never got the memo. Doing Kimmel, got no memo. Not best friends now. Uh, <laughs> Ackroyd don't know me from Adam, but I got to play his icon. Maybe someday selling vodka, I will get to tell him thank you. Selling vodka, played his icon, I'll say thank you. Wish I had met Harold Ramis, because he held it all together. Though the others were more famous, his reality was better. Harold Ramis, now he's famous, he was better. We were in the same production, but in different locations. Never got to bond as class as castmates, but we shared in its creation. If they have a big reunion, I hope I get an invitation. The end. <laughs> nice. That was awesome. Yeah. Thank you. That was so cool, though. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Is that online anywhere, like to music or anything like that? Or no, no. Actually, I never. I've recited it a few times. I recited it to Viola Violet, 
Ramis. Oh, his daughter. His daughter. I'm, not sure. I'm not sure. And she said, I love his verse. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you should put that on the front page. That's that's how your uh, book should open. Yep, yep. Yeah. Right there. Confessions <laughs> of a Marshmallow Man. I love it. <laughs> love it. <laughs> Um, yeah. let me see. Uh, I guess one other question I have is, I guess it's even kind of silly, but, uh, you know, we had Ernie Hudson on a while back and he says at any time he's in a new city anywhere that, you know, every city has its own chapter of the Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah. I, I wonder like, do they, have you, are they ever like inducted you? Are you an honorary like Ghostbuster member anywhere? I, I receive patches from them a lot. I have a, a little baggie full of them. That you know, I keep saying I'll, I'll put them on a jacket or something, but yeah, you know, I've got other stuff to do. I'm still working. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm making the uh, the Gorilla Glue Gorilla again. So, uh, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Been working on that for a little while. How it's cool! Good. It's it's funny when Ernie was on. He said, uh, you know, it's always awesome when you you know go to a new town. He goes, you know, I'm part of Chicago Ghostbusters and I don't know St. Louis. You know, any any city I've been to, and he goes. And as honored as I am, you know, at the same time, and he said this in a joking way, of course, he goes, I feel like I'm the one that ought to be giving them the, the, the honor. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, that probably, that makes sense. But, <laughs> but they, they're such a creative bunch. I, I was in Massachusetts a couple of years ago for my father's memorial. So I told some of the, the Massachusetts guys I was going to be around. So they, they met at a, a restaurant. We got, together and and one of the things i was given was a it was a little pin and it was a combination of the ghostbusters logo and the grateful dead logo can you picture it uh now are you talking the grateful dead logo with the with like the uh, the, the bolt yeah. through it yeah, yeah that but i i'm trying to remember if it was just i don't think it was just the no the red red no I think there was more to it than that. Anyway, it's on a jacket elsewhere. Right now. That's cool. Yeah, every chapter uh, makes takes that logo and makes it their own somehow. I've yeah. seen so many yeah. uh, different ones. Yeah, it was Michael Gross's design. Really? Uh, I believe so. How cool. Well, Bill, this has been surreal. Thank you <laughs> so very much. Merry Christmas to you. And, um, Thank you very much. We look Appreciate forward it. to seeing more of your work, man. Thank you so much. Well, I think I'll just keep doing some more. How's that? Fantastic. I, I prefer the practical <laughs> over CG any day. Definitely, yeah. Oh, good, Amen. good. All right, everyone, and there it is, our conversation with Bill Bryan. I can't tell you how much fun we had talking with him. He was such a nice guy, as you can hear. And, uh, my God, just his hands in so many things. We, we only got to scratch the surface of everything he's done. So I encourage you to get on his IMDb page and check out everything he's done as well as on YouTube and check out his resume wrap because there are things that you'll see in there that aren't even on the IMDb like we were stating in the conversation. So check that out and don't forget to find him on Facebook and you can find him on Instagram at bill.staypuffed. And don't forget to find us on Twitter at CannedAirPod and on Instagram at Canned underscore Air. And again, if you want to show some support, head over to our website, CannedAirPodcast.com. All kinds of things on there that you can check out, including some of our past interviews we've done over the past, shit, over eight years now. And uh, ways you can support us. The merch button. Get yourself a shirt, a mug, a sticker. I don't even know everything that's on there. I suppose I had to check that out so I can be more thorough with these rants. But uh, also our Patreon page, where for either 5 or $10 a month, you can get access to uh, shows that these normies aren't getting people, exclusive content just for you, just for a few dollars a month. So if you decided to become a supporter, we'd be eternally grateful, I promise you guys. And once again, don't forget to find us at Evergreen Podcast Network at evergreenpodcast.com. We're on there with so many other amazing shows, and uh, we're very proud to be a part of it. So once again, evergreenpodcast.com. So I think that's going to do it for this week's episode. I am Jeremy Colley, and as always, be excellent to each other.
frozen. Watch me ice skate. Wait, come back. The ice could break. Whoops. Help. Quickly walk back to the edge. Stop, you'll break through the ice. Snow job! Grab this branch. You should have been listening to canned air. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. Snow job, how'd you get your name? Um. G.I. This has been a canned air production. Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast.